All right, well, we are, we are really laid back today. I, I like this, this feeling. It's nice, isn't it? Um, <laughs> we are, you know what, let me, uh, I told you guys this last week, and so I want to make sure that I keep my word to you. Does anybody have any other ideas um, for what we can do with the building? Those were just ideas that I've heard. Um, anybody have any thoughts, suggestions, diatribes? Anybody? Okay, I've kept my promise, and we are going to move on. <laughs> um, so we are uh, in this series where we are walking through Romans chapter 9. And um, last week, we did not look at Romans chapter 9. We looked at Romans chapters 1 through 8. Because we've been walking through the book of Romans uh, over the past year and a half, uh, off and on. And, um, whoa, did y'all see that? That's not good. Um, My stool's coming apart. If I fall and hurt myself, y'all come rescue me. Um, So today... um, I want to not go into Romans 9 once again. I want to back up right before Romans 9 and look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And you may think, some of you may think, wait, didn't we just do this a few months back? And the answer is yes, but um, in order to, to deal with and walk through Romans chapter 9, we have to understand what Paul is talking about in these three uh, passages of Scripture, in these three verses. Let me, let me uh, recap what we recapped last week. Does that make sense? All right. So, real quick. Paul, in the book of Romans, is writing to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Because what has happened is the, there's these churches. And um, they're... Okay, so what has happened is there's, there's these churches. They're house churches. And they're mixed with both Jews and Gentiles. Um, they are predominantly Gentiles. What happened is in, in A.D., uh, what is it, 48, if I remember right, Claudius kicked out all of the Jews because some of the Jews started believing in Jesus and some of the Jews did not believe in Jesus and they started rioting all over Rome. And so Claudius said, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you believe in Jesus. I don't care if you don't believe in Jesus. If you're a Jew, you're out. And he kicked them out. Then in A.D. Uh, 54, uh, Paul or uh, Claudius... Um, dies. And so the Jews start coming back. In AD 57, Paul writes this letter. I think my numbers are right there. Uh, if not, go back and listen to the message online from last week. Um, so, so Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles in these churches. And he's dealing with, throughout the book, this, this tension that all the Jews are the blessed ones. And that the Gentiles are, are the stepchildren, if you will. I'm a stepchild, so I have to say that. I know. Okay, so he goes back and forth talking to each segment, but he wants everybody to hear. Does that make sense? So he'll be talking to the Jews, but the Gentiles are hearing it. And they're like, hey, yeah, okay. You know? And then he talks to the Gentiles, and the Jews are like, hey, you hear that? You know, that kind of thing. And so what he's trying to do throughout the book is, one, declare Christ as Lord. I mean, it's, it's obvious throughout. He is, he is making it known what salvation looks like to the believer as well as to the church. And he's also trying to, to reconcile and remove a lot of these tensions and say, you're, you're part of one family now. 
Your backgrounds may be different, but you're part of one family now. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul states his main idea for the whole book, and it really can be your main idea for, for almost all of theology when it comes to how do you believe in Christ. And it says, Paul writes, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. That is, the good news of Jesus Christ, His love for you, His rightness is revealed in Jesus. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. And it says, the righteous will live by faith. This word faith, excuse me, this word faith is the same word that we use for trust. Our word faith is, is like, oh, this is my faith. I'm a Christian or I'm... Jewish or I'm whatever, you know, I'm denomination, I'm, I'm Baptist or Catholic. That's my faith. That's how we use the word faith today. Paul is using the word faith in the sense of saying the righteous will live by trusting Jesus. It's our word, trust. The righteous will live by trusting Jesus. So today, um, I'm going to make, uh, make some people angry, which is common for me, right? Uh, and we're going we're gonna to look at predestination. We're going to look at what Paul says about being predestined. And um, like I said, we did this a few months back, but it's so important that we understand what Paul is saying here because it is integral to your understanding of who God is. Um, there's a huge debate recently, especially in the last, when I say recently, I mean like the last 10, 15 years when you look down the corridor of theology, um, there's this huge debate over the past 10, 15 years about this word, right? And um, so I know this topic brings up a ton of questions. And, and when, you, when you look at this word, right, when you read it in a verse, right, we said this a few months ago, the word predestination, it looks like, like this. Go ahead and throw that up there, Jim. You see that? Oh my goodness, it's like you read a verse and it's like predestined and all of a sudden it's, oh, what does that mean? Oh my goodness, oh, I'm supposed to be here. There's nothing I can do and, and oh, or what, you know. So, I'm the only one getting excited. You, you guys aren't, aren't really, you know, like whatever, man. Um, here's the thing. If you just sit down and study scripture and put it in context, it's really not that scary of a word. Um, and you don't have to focus on the word to, to the neglect of the, the scripture that's around it. So what I want to do um, for the rest of this series, um, because I know that we will have questions, um, is I want to, after each message, I want to take your questions. So as you think through and, and you hear uh, something or you read something in scripture, I want, to, um, I want you to write that down and I want to take those questions. And if I can address them, then I'll address them. Uh, otherwise, I'll go back, I'll do some research, I'll, I'll check out Scripture, see what it says, and we'll talk about it the next week. How's that sound? Is that cool? Okay, so I'm throwing myself out like to be roasted here, and I understand this. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, okay, Jason, who cares about this? This is, this is an in-house debate. We're all believers, and this is true. There's no reason that if one person believes one way and another person believes another way, that I should say, you know what, 
you just don't belong here. I'm sorry. You know, Curtis, man, I, I don't like the way you believe that. That's, that would be awful. This is an in-house debate, and we understand that. Um, and we also understand that somewhere in this, there is the truth of God. Somewhere in this lies God's character and, and what and how he works in our salvation. Um, and it matters if one believes one way and another, someone else another way because... Um, well, let me, let me give you an illustration, uh, introduce you to two men. Uh, both of these guys are in the Pacific Theater in World War II fighting the Japanese. Um, one has just reached the current Pacific home base after enlisting. He's not seen any war, any battle. The other has been in and out of major battles for a year, maybe a little longer, and he has seen and done what he had to to stay alive. Um, and it has caused some serious pain and heartache. And uh, I think you'll be able to see it here. Let's go ahead and play that video. Sid was my best customer. When you're finished, please return it to the Pacific Library of Congress. Kipling, always good. Well, most of these jokers can't read. Have you heard the latest about the other war? There's another war. We invaded Europe. Landed last month in France. Just coffee, thanks. Explains it. You're a believer. Yes. Okay. Question. God created everything, right? The heavens, seven seas, Marine Corps, Sleeping Beauty there. <laughs> Even him. Land crabs, rats, mosquitoes. That mosquito's a little tough to understand, I guess, but God created Japs too, right? He gives us a choice. Free will. Right. Except he's God, of course, so he knows what we're going to do before we do it. Predestination. So the whole game is fixed by the will of Gramps on his throne while we're down here for what? His entertainment? That makes us chumps or God's a sadist, and either way, I got no use for him. So what do you believe in? I believe in ammunition. Tell you what, though, since I'm not on speaking terms with him anymore, next time you're having a chat with the old geezer, can you ask him to sink a few Jap transports and have them all fall on their bayonets so I can go home? I sure would appreciate it. You go ahead and keep it. I don't know why I have it in the first place. No, thanks. Come on. So you can see here um, how this debate can easily end up being not just a theological uh, head knowledge 
you know, academic type of debate. Um, it is very easy in life for this to become a, a who is God because my, my world is spinning out of control reality for people. Um, for this man, he had seen and done and killed and he had done things he was not proud of but things that he felt he had to do to stay alive. And, and, and so this question is real to many people. I, I, I run across it uh, in marriage counseling. Um, people say, maybe this is the way my marriage is supposed to be. Um, maybe this is the way God has, has ordained it to be. Um, maybe I'm not chosen to have a successful marriage and, and, and a lot of times it will lead to maybe I'm not really his child at all. Um, and there's a whole lot of baggage that goes into those questions when you're dealing with marriage counseling. But it's normally the first step in the excuses of giving up on your marriage. And um, in the process, you, they, they begin to say, I, I've got no control and God has all the control. And so I, I'm just going to... Give up, I'm not putting any more effort into it. Um, by the way, this is the wrong way to go about marriage, okay? Christ gives us a wonderful example on how to reconcile with um, our spouse, with others. And so I want to encourage you that that is the wrong way to go about marriage, but I do see it. And you probably see it in different situations in your own life with different friends and that kind of thing. And, and the, the fact is... Um, that there is a truth to be found. Um, and so here's what we're going to deal with. On one end, you've got predestination, right? By the way, his, his definition of predestination was off. Okay, that wasn't, that's not really what predestination is. Um, the other guy, uh, excuse me, the, the newbie guy. The, um, the guy talking about Gramps on his throne and his view of God, that is... That is the far definition of predestination. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have free will, right? Free will. By the way, I don't know if you can read that or not. My handwriting is awful. Um, and these are the two extremes here. Um, and here or here or somewhere in between, God's character does lie. And God's interaction with us does lie. And the truth needs to be found. Um, and I'm not saying that we're going to find the absolute truth. There, and there's always debate and there's always things, hey, what about this and this and this? But we're going to look in Scripture and we're going to see what Paul says about this. But to know the truth about who God is is foundational to our relationship with Him. To know the truth about who God is is foundational to our relationship with Him. Um, so either one is a lie and the other is the truth, or vice versa, or somewhere in between here lies the truth. Um, so everything we do and say about God needs to be correct. Because you're going to pass this down, whether it be to your children or whoever, uh, whoever people, other people who look up to you, right? And so you need to know where you stand on this. You need to know exactly what Scripture says about this. 
Um, and we should search for the truth. We don't want to be apathetic. We don't want to be scared to ask questions. We don't want to be scared to debate. I think that's the biggest kind of problem in our culture. We're scared to challenge and debate. Don't, don't feel scared to challenge me at all. Um, because if, if we do, if one of these is incorrect and we believe in it, then that's trouble that gets passed on down the line. You know what I'm saying? So, let's take a look in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. Um, we believe that Scripture is inspired and the written Word of God, written uh, by men, but, or by God through men, rather. And we believe that it's truthful through and through. Um, so we're going to walk through chapter 9 slowly, and we're going to look at chapter 8, verse 28 through 30 today. Let me read it all together, uh, and then we're going to walk through it. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. We just, we just sang about that. Right? How's it go? Um, so, you know, you can look at that song sometimes and you can go, wow, that's kind of selfish. But it's, it's, it's out of Scripture. We, we do it because this is what God says. This is what Paul says, uh, God says through Paul. Uh, Who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He may be, that's Jesus, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Now, when Paul talks about being predestined, Paul talks about one thing. He's not, he's not thinking, well, you, you know, God might be doing this, and, but you got free will. He's thinking about one thing here. I mean, this, he's not making a big deal about it. He's not debating, but he's thinking about one thing. He's not ranging between the two extremes. So let's walk through this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This word called is a Greek word, called or calling, and it is the same as a host that invites you to dinner. It is an invitation that should be accepted, but can be denied. Does that make sense? It, it is, hey, Curtis, you want to come over for dinner tonight? Yeah, man, oh, I can't. i got to work tonight. Okay, well, maybe some other time. It should be accepted because my wife can cook. She's got this enchilada thing. It's awesome. And, 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 she, and so you should accept that, but we understand it can be denied. All right, now, now let's jump into the nitty-gritty. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. This word foreknew, foreknew, is prognostico in the Greek. Can you guess which English word we get from prognostico? Anybody? Prognosticate, that's right. This is the same, it's the same thing. This is the ability to foretell from signs or symptoms. Um, for instance, I can predict that our nation, I mean, and I'm not some doomsayer here, but if we keep going the way we're going, man, our nation is not going to last in its current form long. Um, there's a history lesson here. When you see a nation become arrogant and and all the things that we're into and we lose our values given by God, 
you see it eventually either get taken over by another nation. This is scripture. This is also history. Or you see it self-destruct. Um, and I, I, when we were out in Colorado a couple weeks ago, um, there was a forest fire everywhere you went. You know, my, my sister-in-law's getting married. And you look over the horizon, the mountain on the other side, there's a forest fire. Wind shifts, you know, it starts blowing in smoke. I mean, there's forest fires everywhere. And they can't control those things. I mean, they, they say, well, we've got it 20% contained. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Then it's not contained, right? And what they do is they try to make a square around it, but then the fire jumps the square. And it's, it's just a, this crazy system, but it's the best thing. I don't know. What do I know about fire? Um, but I look at, you know, the fires and the floods and, and all of this stuff. And I'm not, like I say, I'm not some doomsayer. But I see God saying, guys, listen to me. You might have the best military in the, nation, in the world, but you can't control nature. I control that. And so I look at that and I say, man, God's trying to rattle our cage. I, I can prognosticate what is coming. Um, so this is the ability to foretell from signs and symptoms. This is not the ability to cause. That's not um, Paul's theology. The ability to force people into a relationship um, with God is not Paul's theology. Uh, this is reading the tea leaves. It's a really, uh, prognosticate is actually a really weak word in describing God. You know, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, God can tell what's going on. But I think he does this on purpose, you know, just to say, I think God knows what's going on. He can see what's going to happen. He's outside of time. He created time. And so these are people, those that God foreknew, these are people who would accept his calling, who would choose to follow him. These are Christ followers. These are believers. These are Christians. Paul uses the, the plural here, and I'm, I'm going to get technical here, all right? So y'all just hang with me. And he is referring to individuals who comprise the church. For those God foreknew, for those God that knew, God, that God knew would choose to follow him. Paul is working very hard here to unite the Jews and the Gentiles who are in the same congregations but from totally different backgrounds. And he's saying, listen, I have a plan and a purpose for your church, for you, this body of believers. It would be the same for us today if God says, I have a plan for New Orleans Community Church. Now, this was letter that he wrote was a circular letter, so it would go from, to one church in Rome. They would read it. They would go, oh, okay, and then they would pass it to the next church. You know, because it's so deep. There's so much stuff here. So he also, for those that God foreknew, he also predestined. It is important that we understand the order here. He predestines those who choose Jesus. It is only the followers of Christ as the church who are predestined. What are we predestined for? To be conformed to the likeness of his Son. The church, us, we as believers are predestined to be made more like Jesus. Holy. We are not predestined to become plumbers. That's a choice you make. Or alcoholics. 
or CEOs or drug addicts. These are choices that we make. Paul's definition to predestination applies to the church. It is very broad, intentionally. Um, And in chapter 9, you're going to see that this definition applies to God's people, Israel, the precursor of the church. And so they still had to place their trust, these people, uh, just like me and you, in Jesus. Just like Paul has been saying all throughout Romans and all throughout Scripture, chapter 1, verse 17. And it's no different than any other piece of Scripture that we read. Paul is not going uh, Romans 1, chapter 1 through 8, saying, you must believe, you must trust Jesus. And look at Abraham. He trusted Jesus. He was made righteous by faith. And then he doesn't just turn on a dime in chapter 8 and say, yeah, but you know what? God does it. And then he says, Paul... Paul says that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers. He'll be the first member of the church followed by us. He is the head of the church. He is the pastor, the great shepherd. And then Paul gets real specific. Yet he's still plural. He's still talking about us as people who have trusted Jesus and make up the church. But now he explains how this broad definition of predestination gets more specific. Those he predestined, those who are in the church, invited to be holy... He also calls or invites to go deeper with him in that relationship. And it says those that accept that invitation to go deeper, he also justifies. He makes us right in his eyes. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, you are right in his eyes. He sees no sin. He sees his son. He sees holiness and blamelessness and sinlessness. And, and I don't know about y'all, but I have a very, very hard time understanding this. Because I wake up every morning asking God for forgiveness and saying, God, I am, I am a sinner. And I know you see me as your child and as holy and blameless, but I don't get it. I know you do. I've got it here, but here I just feel sinful because I am. But he makes us right in his eyes. And if you're struggling with that, know that. That is a truth and a promise from God. You are right in his eyes when you trust in him. And then it says, those he justified, he also glorified. Oh, I skipped one there. Those he predestined, he also called. I skipped it because we had talked about that word called earlier. Those he predestined, the the church, the people in the church, he's called. He's inviting us to go deeper with him. Okay, that's where that, um, that's what that is talking about. So those he justified, he also glorifies. Now we haven't been glorified yet. Glorified means we're complete. God's done making us the way he wants to make us. So that doesn't happen to us as individuals. It doesn't happen to us as the church until either you pass away and go meet him face to face or God comes back, Jesus comes back. Um, And so one day that will happen. Um, But this is God glory. He knows. He's looking down into time and looking at us as the church and he knows. So he knows what's going to happen. The church 
is predestined to be made more like Jesus. Holy. Holy. But you make the choice to be a part of the church by trusting Him. So here's my simple question. One, have you placed your life in the hands of Jesus? Whether it be for the first time or whether it be every morning. Um, do you do that on an ongoing basis? Jesus, take my life. Use me here. Have you told Him that you trust Him more than you trust yourself? That's a tough one on my part, I'll be honest. Because I trust myself a lot and I let myself down a lot. Do you believe that He can see what is out there, that He can lead you away from sin, that He can lead you away from destruction, and that He can lead you away from what you cannot see? Do you believe that He has a better life for you than you have for yourself? Do you trust Jesus? Do you live by trusting Jesus? Does your life reflect that you trust Jesus? an internal question, internal questions. I want to I take a moment and pray, and then I want to take any questions that you may have. Um, so let's just take a moment to answer those questions in our heart, and then I'll pray. Father, you are our God. And there are things that we do not understand, that we don't comprehend, that, that our fleshly minds cannot understand of the things of the Spirit of you. But Father, you speak through Paul. And so God, we ask that you will um, continue to use your word to inform us, to help us understand how you engage with us as the church, as individuals in the church. Father, speak to us in how you love us. Your word is clear that you have given your son and stretched him out on the cross to die for my gain for our game. And, and Father, you make it clear that we just need to trust you. That we need to believe and place our lives in your hands. So Lord, I don't know where each person is here this morning. I'm not going to, I don't want to call anybody out. So Father, I just pray that you work on us, work on me today and throughout this week. Lord, I ask that you help us to learn, to know how to trust you. Draw us into a deeper trust with you. Father, this is our prayer. We pray this in Jesus, your holy name. Amen. Amen.